And welcome to episode 150 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast, the objects to observe in the September 2020, sorry, September 2021 night sky. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the nighttime sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. How are you this evening, Shane? I am pretty good. How are you, Chris? I'm, I'm doing well. People should know that that I kind of messed up a bit and, and Shane had bought a new telescope and I was so excited to talk about that. I forgot to put the show notes for, for the objects to observe in the September, 2021 night sky into our podcast um, uh, notes. And, uh, and so we just ended up talking about his telescope. And uh, so now these podcasts will be released just uh just one out of order, I think. And you know what? When I think of out of a little bit out of order, I, I think about about you and I. We're a little <laughs> bit out of order sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's that's more than fair. Um, and I, yeah, we're definitely out of order sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like somebody should be pounding a gavel or yeah. or something something like that. But we we don't worry about that much. We're just amateur astronomers, and we do this for the fun of it. So uh, yeah, but you know what? I am really excited that it's getting dark earlier now. I'm one of the yes. few people that's excited about, yeah. How about you? Oh yeah. Um, this is the best time of the year. Um, you know, it's not too cold out. We can get out earlier in the night and do more observing. And it's, you know, there's at some point here, we won't have any bugs like mosquitoes or anything like that. Um, yeah, this is the best time of the year for observing in terms of like comfort level and ability to just get it done in the evening. When do the centipedes go? I've got centipedes. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I don't know. We'll have to study that. <laughs> start, start plotting daily lows and oh, see what happens. Oh my. Yeah. I was dragging centipedes into, into our, into our shack. And uh, yeah, and I found they were all over the, all over my observing site. It's a beautiful spot to observe it, and, and clear. Maybe centipedes are sky gazers. They were getting up. I have a bench up there and they were getting up on the bench, um, you know, in great numbers. <laughs> Maybe it's a migration and they need the stars. That's right. Yeah. Hey, who knows? Mm -hmm. It very well, it very well could be, but yeah, I'm excited. I've been staying up uh, late doing, doing some observing, not just observing centipedes and uh, taking a look at the autumn Milky Way and in that great line of star called uh, Kemble's Cascade that's up there in uh it's in Camelopardalus, which is not the northern Campbell, but the uh, northern giraffe. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, open clusters is uh, Campbell's Cascade. And, you know, the double cluster, if you can fit them both in one field of view, it's hard to find something prettier than that. So, yeah. 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 Campbell's, Campbell's is an amazing asterism. It terminates there at the uh, right. cluster, uh, cluster, but it terminates at the cluster 1502, NGC 1502, which, which is a great cluster in uh, in telescopes. And if you get up in the early morning, you can actually see Orion uh, rising. Now, it, it's always a lot of fun at uh, sort of one of our late season camping trips to mm -hmm. uh, to stay up super late or or to get up early and uh, and point some telescopes uh, at at the uh, at the Orion Nebula for you know kind of a, a kickstart to your winter observing. Sometimes the only winter observing we might do if it gets really cold will be in those early morning hours in autumn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, the, uh, when we want, or if we want to observe, uh, Orion in the early evening, it's probably minus 20. 
you know, give or take a few degrees and, yep. uh, you know, the opportunity, opportunity to observe it, um, say late September, early October, um, it's much warmer, <laughs> you know, yep. it might only be minus five at that point. So, um, well, I guess it could be colder, but the point is, uh, you know, if you stay up late enough, you can see the winter sky under some fairly comfortable conditions comparatively. Yeah. Yeah. So we have some, uh, really neat events, uh, for September, um, have some beautiful moon pairings with, uh, Uranus and Neptune, um, which, which I always think makes the best opportunity, uh, to hunt these, uh, these sort of outer planets down because, um, other than really just seeing them, it, it can be difficult to see much, uh, much detail, even through a telescope. So really just hunting them down is, is the trick. And, uh, and it's really neat just, just to be able to, to take a look at them and see, yeah, that, that definitely is, uh, is Uranus or Neptune. Have you, have you ever hunted uh, Uranus or Neptune now? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've observed them multiple times. Um, but I have to think, I think most of my observations were with, uh, Newtonians, like my eight inch and my 12 inch. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly a little more, uh, impressive with the larger aperture, like, you know, the 12 inch, I think even the eight inch, I was able to, you know, tell that it wasn't a star, you know, I was able to make out the disc a little bit better and, and, um, you know, they certainly benefit from, from aperture if you have it, but still a a good observation with really any instrument. Yeah. Yeah. It's just neat to kind of, kind of hunt those down in my, in my four inch, they're kind of just sort of bloated gray stars. Really. I, I don't get, uh, Get too much color. Um, we've got Mercury uh, coming up in the uh, in the evening sky uh, for its greatest uh, eastern elongation. I think it's uh, pretty tough to see it though this time around. Uh, Venus, I've already been observing Venus, and uh, a couple times it uh, well, it's going to be joined by the crescent moon there. Jupiter and Saturn are uh, just past opposition. Um, yeah, and, and shout out, I, I actually tuned in and listened to the uh, the Observer's Notebook by uh, the Association for Lunar and Planetary Observers, ALPO. And uh, yeah, they have a couple great um, podcasts there. And I I think it was the second one, uh, Richard Schmoody, um, who's the director for the Jupiter section, was speaking. He's also an RESC member. And uh, I, back in pre-pandemic times, uh, uh, was fortunate to be able to meet up with him uh, a few times at at some of the RESC national meetings. So uh, he's a he's a tremendous observer and uh, provides some some great advice in in those podcasts for people that are a little bit um, beyond like this sort of introductory uh, night sky stuff. Yeah, and that Jupiter podcast was awesome. Like, um, you know, if anybody's into the planets or enjoys observing them, uh, the Jupiter podcast may give you some sort of aspirational, um, you know, things to work on or a Jupiter project by trying to determine the different brightness of the features within Jupiter and how that brightness may change over time. I think that's pretty cool. I never had ever really thought of, of trying to record that. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a really neat uh, project. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, so starting on September 1st, this is uh geez, this is just coming up. Um, we have September 1st, uh, the Zodiac light or Zodiac light or however you wish to say it. Sorry, I'm I'm tired. It's been a long day at work, and I my my maritime accent seems to be cutting through. <laughs> the maritimer the, comes out at night. <laughs> well, exactly. I think you've heard it well at some of those late night sessions. But uh, the uh, zodiacal light uh, starts to become visible in the eastern uh, morning sky once the moon uh, leaves the scene around. Uh, I think that'd be around like sort of mid month ish. 
Um, and what you see is sort of this faint uh, pyramid uh, glow of, uh, of uh, interplanetary uh, dust. And uh, I think they've actually traced it back. I think Dave Chapman, who was on our podcast before, was saying that uh, some of that has recently been traced back to uh, originating from uh, material escaping from uh, Mars. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that was fascinating. Yeah, it gave us a bit of a, a bit of a heads up on that one. Um, is, is, is the zodiacal uh, light visible from most latitudes? Yes, because it's uh, it's in the zodiac or in the ecliptic plane. Yeah. And since the ecliptic is visible from most places, you know, well-placed most places on earth, right, right. Um, it, you know, but, but it's a good question. Like, will the angle play a role, you know, and certainly during some times of the year um, we can, we can see it quite well, but I know like some early observers, um, you know, uh, or people observing in, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, like uh, Barnard uh, wrote about it from, you know, making some of his observations, uh, I think even in like California and other places that are to the south, I think others have have noted it in other regions, and certainly lots of photographs from around the world mm-hmm. uh, do show the uh, zodiacal or zodiacal light quite well. Yeah, well, and Dave mentioned uh, uh, his observation was in Florida, yeah. uh, at least the one that he referenced on the podcast. And yeah. I guess maybe I'm more curious about Southern Hemisphere, what it would appear like down there. But uh, I can do some research on that. Pack your bags, let's go. <laughs> bags, let's go. <laughs> Once those minus twenty temperatures hit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We'll be all about the trip to the South. All right. Mm-hmm. So September 7th, we have uh, new moon. So I guess that's probably around when the zodiacal light will become most, most visible. But I think, I think really once, once you get uh, towards that mid part of the month, probably those last few mornings before the moon enters the sky is probably going to be the best bet. I think is what I have in mind here mm-hmm. on the 10th. I was I was looking at this so and I, I ran my planetarium software um, for us anyway in in uh, the northern hemisphere here in North America we have Venus Moon and if you have a clear Western horizon Mercury in the evening sky after sunset in, in some places they're saying it's the 11th but I think that's because they're looking at like universal time and that sort of thing but when I ran my software it did say it was for the 10th. And what, uh, is that an eight degree field that you like the blue circle you have on there? Yes, that is, that is an eight degree field where we have Venus, uh, and the moon lined up and then, um, Mercury is just going to be, uh, below and to the right or to the South West from there. And then on, I think on the next night, the moon kind of jogs over, but for us, it's really far, like you know, it, it's really not in that same field of view. And, and for me anyway, I want to be able to um, see Mercury or sorry, see Venus and the moon in the same binocular field. My binoculars have just over an eight degree field of view. And uh, so I want to be able to, to capture them there. And uh, yeah, I think even if somebody has like a six degree, maybe a five degree binocular, even they'd be able to, to get them in. We'll see if Mike can get them in with his, uh, with his uh, 15 by fifties, maybe mm-hmm. even even capture it. So yeah, I just love being able to get the moon uh, and a planet when they, when they get close to each other in the sky. I always think that's uh, pretty awesome to, to take a look. And, you know, back last winter, I was thinking there were some nights that were bitterly cold and we weren't going anywhere observing. And, uh, you know, we were sharing views um, via text message uh, as we looked at our windows and stuff like that from the warmth of our homes. So, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. That'll be a cool opportunity. Yeah. 
On the 13th, we have the first quarter moon. And, uh, you know, the thing with the first quarter moon, and this is uh, what I always try to encourage people that are that are taking my astronomy class to do is to go and get uh, that old pair of binoculars that's gathering dust somewhere. It doesn't really matter if there's much dust. If there's a lot of dust, maybe uh, cl- clean them off as, as best you can. If they're not too expensive, uh, you shouldn't have to worry about it too much. But anyway, um, and point those old binoculars at the uh, first quarter moon on the 13th and, and or around that date. Um what you see when you look at the moon is is an illuminated part and and a part that uh, that doesn't have the sunlight falling on it. And then we have this shadow line. Do you want to just talk about what you can see on the shadow line and what that shadow line is for a section? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the shadow line we call it the terminator, and that's where the essentially the lit part of the moon terminates, and it becomes dark at that point. Um, and and you you see the most detail uh, along the Terminator because um, that area of the moon, the way the sun is now hitting it, uh, there, there's a lot of shadows being cast um, by craters, by ridges, by mountains. And those shadows uh, create um, a lot of contrast that make all of those features really jump out and, and much easier to observe. Um, in fact, you know, if you've ever looked at a full moon with any kind of optical aid, it's actually kind of like, if you're expecting to see a lot of craters, you're not going to see them uh, mm-hmm. because it's uh, very difficult without those shadows. But as soon as you have that Terminator on the moon, it just becomes alive with detail. And, and, and you know, a full moon still has a lot of detail. I suppose it's just different detail. But if you're really after um, uh, or if you're really chasing down the craters and the ranges and all of that kind of stuff, you, you need to be looking along the Terminator. And then, you know, also along the Terminator is often where you get these, um, you know, these sort of, uh, shadow things that happen and create other, um, I don't know, I guess other phenomena to ex- uh, observe. And the lunar X, I think is probably the most popular yeah. uh, of all of those. And, um, well, the, when the lunar X is visible, so is the lunar V and they are exactly as stated. It looks like an X and the other one looks like a V and it's not an actual feature. It's just the way, <coughs> excuse me, just the way the shadow, um, is cast and kind of mixes with the lit parts of the moon. And I think, uh, so this is universal time, September 13th, at 13th 20, yeah. yeah, 2208 universal time is, uh, is kind of peak lunar X time. So, yeah. um, if you're in the Northern hemisphere, actually, I don't even know if hemisphere is necessarily related, but, um, anyway, September 13th, uh, is, is your time. Yeah. And then I see, uh, the next night, the lunar straight wall is, uh, is visible. So, yeah, that's another really cool thing to look at. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely take in the moon. Uh, if, if it's, you know, if the timing is favorable for, for your area, those are some neat features to see. Yeah, as the uh, as the shadow is uh, is waxing off, uh, no, waning off. Like as as the shadow is coming coming across the moon now. Um, the other night, I could see that straight wall uh, feature. Just like didn't go out to look at it, but um, sort of surprisingly. So I was I was up sort of around midnight, just as the uh, just as that uh, last quarter moon ish was was sort of making its appearance. And uh, yeah, I, I think I could I could see that. So you know, pretty neat. Yeah. Another, another interesting thing here I'm just reading is that apparently the X is 
uh, easily visible in the daytime even. So if, if that time, if that universal time equates to, you know, the, 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 like the daytime, give it a try. See if you can see the X, apparently you can. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, and I know when Dave, uh, Dave Chapman, uh, who's written quite a bit about the X, uh, and is seen as, as sort of one of the, uh, I guess he doesn't like to say he didn't discover it or anything. It's been, it was sort of found and then sort of lost and then sort of rediscovered. And he was sort of somebody who popularized it by sorting out um, the visibility of, of the X. But anyway, when he first did it, it was, it was pretty much um, the sun was still pretty much above the horizon and he was just having to be uh, looking at, at the moon and uh, I know this because I was I was camped next to him. We were, we were observing together at a camping at a camping uh, an astronomy retreat, and uh, and and I was actually trying to sleep, and and he ran across it. So um, yeah, it was it was pretty cool to to see it. But yeah, my first view of it, I think the sun was still uh, above the horizon when uh, when we caught it. Yeah, yeah, it was really neat. You know, maybe um, one other sorry, one other mention here, Chris, about the Terminator is that it it's actively like moving across the surface of the moon. Now, not so fast that you, you know, just watch it, you know, cascade over the moon, but over the course of like, especially if you're trying to observe, say this lunar X, um, over the course of an hour, the brightness and the detail will change. Mm-hmm. Um, just as the, the moon catches the light from a different angle, it will change the position of that terminator. So mm-hmm. just kind of an FYI. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, yeah, I kind of looked to you um, for this lunar material because I, I think you're out of the two of us. You're definitely the more uh, lunar savvy. <laughs> I, I definitely enjoy it. You know, there's uh, there's a lot to observe on the moon. Yeah. And September fourteenth, we have Mercury at greatest eastern elongation, which I find is always kind of a confusing term. That the term of eastern and western elongation, um, because uh, Mercury is going to be visible in the West when it's at greatest, greatest Eastern elongation. So anyway, September 14th, look for Mercury in the evening sky. Maybe that's what we should say instead, <laughs> of, instead of jumbling around with all these terms. So Mercury is going to be in the evening sky on the 14th. However, the Southern hemisphere is, is much more, uh, favored than, uh, than what we are. Um, and yeah, it's, it is pretty tough to see. So I'm, I'm a Mercury observer when it's, when it's going to be well-placed, like every year, there's at least a, two or three opportunities when it's well-placed. And I mark those on my calendar and I, I do a special setup and I make sure I, I have a spot picked out where I can go and set up and actually see it because it's usually really close to the horizon. Uh, this is not one of those times. I will, I will probably just be lucky to, to observe it kind of you know, from my upstairs or between the houses or from upstairs between the houses, it's, it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty low observation to make, unfortunately. So that that's kind of it with Mercury, Shane, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Not much to see right now. Like, unless, like you said, you're in the Southern hemisphere. So, yeah. And, and to be real honest, like there's like, that's a real tough uh, planet to observe, even when conditions are perfect, oh. <laughs> you know, you're, you're probably not going to see detail that like, I, I don't know how, how, uh, attainable that is, you know, unless maybe you have big aperture, but. Well, it's, it's tough. I mean, I've seen something is probably the best way to put it and I've drawn it. Um, and, and it kind of, it, it's difficult to match up with what surface de- details you're, you're, perhaps seeing as as an illusion 
Um, but definitely, yeah, there's kind of something there and there's some areas you'll see are darker than others. And some areas are really, really bright. And, uh, it's, it's, it's very tough to observe, but just seeing anything, just, I just love the idea that, um, you know, it's just, just a, a small person on a, on another planet. I can take out my small telescope. I'm using a four inch telescope and I can point that at something that's buzzing around the sun every 88 days. And, uh, you know, I, I can see the, the surface about as good as you can see the surface of our moon through, um, you know, through like moderately heavy cloud on earth. That's about all you can see, but, you know, sometimes you can see that the moon is there and you can see that it has, you know, some light and dark areas. And that's probably the best way to, to describe your best views of, of Mercury. Um, but, you know, just the idea that you are looking at the surface of this other, other planet that's, uh, that's in our solar system. Uh, that's such a draw for me anyway. It's just so, so cool to be able to do that. Yeah, no, that's, that's well stated. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but not this time. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Uh, the good news is though, well, Mercury might be uh, too tough, uh, to, to see this time is that, uh, Neptune is at opposition on the 14th and that's going to allow you some, some telescopic observations. Uh, and you can look at it all night long because it will rise, um, at sunset and it will set at sunrise. Now I've, I've seen some cloud top detail. Of course, uh, Neptune is what they call an ice giant has like, I think methane ice, uh, clouds for the most part. It's, it's rather bluish. And, uh, I think I saw like a bit of a stripe or something once through, through a 10 inch, uh, that was, that was tracking. Um, and we observed it for hours in order to see anything. I, I'm not sure if you've ever seen anything on Neptune chain. No, uh, the only thing was the color, you know, that I, I was able yeah. to, to pull that out. Um, that was, that was actually very apparent in my eight inch, yeah. um, that I remember, but, uh, nice. no, no other surface detail. Yeah. Or I shouldn't say surface, <laughs> atmospheric Plug. detail, yeah. atmospheric detail. Yeah. That that's a good way to put it. You know? Um, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, and it's up there in, uh, in Aquarius. Yeah. So, um, now Mercury is so close to the horizon. It doesn't really matter uh, where it is. It's near uh, Virgo, but, um, but Neptune is going to be in Aquarius. It's going to be actually, um, sort of right, uh, off of like, there's like a big weird wonky, uh, part of the pattern. But um, if you look at Pisces, there's what's called the circlet and it's right below that circlet. It's basically about a circlet below the circlet. Uh, if you find the circlet of Pisces, um, which is in turn right below the great square of Pegasus, um, then, uh, then, you know, you, you'll need a chart to, to hunt it down, but, uh, but, but it is possible or, you know, planetary, um, planetarium software in your computer. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I'll probably try to take a look at sometime in September, September 17th though, 17th and 18th. These are, these are pretty cool. I like these sort of things when, uh, Saturn and Jupiter, uh, have the moon going by them on subsequent nights. So on Saturn here in, in North America, we have, um, the moon four degrees, uh, you know, it's a Saturn four degrees North of the moon on September 17th. And then Jupiter, uh, will be four degrees uh, north of the moon on the 18th. So that's coming up. And I'm just looking at the diagram here. Now, I'm kind of wondering though, I thought I thought the other night when I, I guess it was about a week and a half ago, I was looking and I thought it was the reverse. 
Anyway, I, I'm not sure. Did you look at it there the Saturday before last? Uh, I'm just trying to think. Because uh, this is one of these things where this has kind of been repeating for like about a year now, where the moon and, and Saturn and then uh, Jupiter and then Saturn or vice versa, because they've kind of swapped positions in the sky. It's going to be going on for about a year or so, actually a little bit longer than a year now. I started watching it last uh, May or June. Um, but anyway, sometimes the moon will be above and sometimes it'll, it'll be below, mm-hmm. but this time the planets are each going to be, uh, north of the moon. So they're going to be above the moon and the moon's going to kind of skirt just below them. And they're both sitting in Capricornus, which is a beautiful fall constellation that looks like a pair of like bikini briefs or maybe the Star Trek symbol. It doesn't really look <laughs> like a seagull. There you go. Well, there, yeah, that, that paints a picture. Fashion advice from actual astronomy. Yep. Yep. And four degrees apart, you know, that's, uh, that's well within uh, field of view range for a lot of refractors. Um, yeah. So that'll, that'll be another pretty cool observation. Yeah. Small, small refractors and virtually any binocular uh, that yeah. people would own would, uh, would be able to get um, on, on each of those nights. On the first night, you'd be able to get Saturn and the moon. And then on the second night, you'd be able to get Jupiter and the moon. Um, that's pretty cool to be able to, to see uh, the moon and another planet, especially Jupiter or Saturn, because, um, you know, in, in the little refractor, you can probably get about maybe 25 or so power, just enough to be able to see, um, just maybe 20 power actually, but just, just enough to be able to see the rings pretty decently. Uh, and then you'll see like lots of craters on our moon sort of, but both these things will be in the same field of view, same eyepiece. And then with Jupiter, you'll be able to see the disc and then the, the moons of Jupiter and then our moon uh, together in, in the same field of view is really cool to see as well. Yeah. I really hope we have clear skies for that. I really want to make both of those observations. Yeah, for, for sure. And I've made, uh, I've made as many as I think I've made as many of those as it's been clear sometimes without optical aid, uh, Saturday before last, I just, I knew it was happening. I actually had gone to bed. I forgot about it. And I was lying in bed and I was like, why is it? I was at my dark sky site and I'm like, why is it so bright out? And it had been cloudy. Um, so I hadn't even planned to do any astronomy. And I, I got up and I was like, Oh, there it is. And uh, of course it's like pretty much a blazing full moon. And, you know, here it is right, right. Uh, uh, just on the upside of, of uh, Jupiter that night. And I was like, Oh, well, that's great. I saw it. And then it rained again for like six days. So, <laughs> all right. On the 20th, we have a full moon, five degrees south of Neptune. That almost rhymes. Um, so here we have another opportunity to, uh, to take a look at Neptune, just past opposition uh, this time. And uh, it's within that same binocular uh, field of view. So most binoculars will give you at least five degrees. So it could be a stretch for people with a smaller field of view binoculars. Um, but typically most binoculars are six or seven degrees ish. So uh, they're going to be able to take it in. So with the full moon, five degrees south of Neptune, uh, you find the full moon and then you put it in the bottom of the field of view. And then the brightest star to, to the top of your field uh, is going to be the planet Neptune. So that, that could be an opportunity just for people to try to uh, hunt it down on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Gee, your, um, your theme at the start is really holding true with a lot of pretty interesting moon pairings this month. Yeah. Yeah. Pairings of the moon. Yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's fantastic. Um, and I really, I really love it when the moon pairs up with planets and stars, 
because most people are familiar with like, like most people are going to be able to find the moon. Um, and, uh, and by using the moon to guide you to find other things in the nighttime sky, um, you know, it, it, it's easier than just, it's much easier than just like go out, use a chart and find it. It's that that's going to, you know, lead to a few headaches probably. Um, but if people just kind of know generally where it is on certain dates, um, they can sort of more casually just kind of learn the sky. And if, if people are looking for a good resource, a resource like skymaps.com, which we have no affiliation with, I just think they do really cool work and they put out these monthly sky maps for the evening sky and they tell you when the moon is going to be near bright planets or stars. And I think that is the perfect way for people to begin learning the nighttime sky um, without really kind of stressing over things like right ascension and declination or, or all kinds of stuff like that. It's just a real practical way to, to learn the nighttime sky. Yeah, absolutely. September 22nd is the autumnal equinox. Any big plans for this, Shane? Oh, <laughs> no, uh, not at this time. No, Should we plan a party? Um, yeah, sure. Sounds good. Um, yeah, usually <laughs> there's, there's not much. You, you you can't really see anything with the autumnal equinox. It's just that the uh, that that's one of the things like we talked about, I think, in uh, one of the recent episodes about, um, you know, the, the ecliptic. And we talked about our, uh, our, our, you know, equatorial plane that's projected out on onto the night's celestial sphere called the uh, celestial equator. Um, and this is just when the sun is going below that celestial equator. It's, it's something you can't really see um, so much as feel in, in subsequent weeks. Usually we, we dip uh, considerably below the freezing mark and uh, get this white material that starts falling in copious amounts from the sky in the early part of October. And that's, that's how we feel it anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is life in Saskatchewan. Yeah, there we go. September 24th, Uranus is going to be 1.3. So this is super close. This is in the telescopic range. And you can, most mm-hmm. telescopes, even decent sized telescopes these days with two inch eyepieces can give you a 1.3 degree field of view. And Uranus is going to be 1.3 degrees north of the moon on September 24th um, for some locations, but here it doesn't get near that close before sunrise, but it's still reasonably close. I think we get it within, uh, within, I think about uh, three or four degrees uh, at its, at its closest. So, so even there, that's a great binocular uh, target uh, to hunt down the moon and, uh, and Uranus. Yeah, I see my notes here. It's five degrees. Uranus is going to be about five degrees uh, north of the moon on that night. So it's the same thing. You just sort of put it in your, uh, put the moon in the bottom of your field of view on September 24th. And then the, the brightest star uh, towards the top. Uh, and the, this will be like around 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Uh, that That's going to be uh, Uranus. On the 29th, we have the last quarter moon. And this is, I think, our last um, thing to, to talk about tonight, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was observing the last, I think, I think it was the last quarter moon on Saturday night. Am I right there? Something like that. Anyway, I was taking a look at the last quarter moon, um, with about, Oh, shucks. I guess it was about, uh, I don't know, maybe 60 power something like that. Um, beautiful view could get more than the, the full moon in the field of view at, at I guess it must've been 70 power. Anyway, get the more than a, I could get more than the full, um, globe of the moon in my, in my telescope. And, uh, yeah, I, I like it when it gets down to that last quarter, because typically we get so used to looking at that, 
um, first quarter moon and and crescents just as they're leading up to first quarter because that's when uh, we're often out observing and maybe we go out and we're looking at the moon and then the moon sets and we do deep sky observing. But this is this is a, a good time of year where uh, you might be going out and doing an hour or so of observing and then the moon rises and you can kind of take a look at the uh, sort of that lesser or less observed uh, quarter of the moon, at least from from my perspective. Not sure what your thoughts are on that, Shane. Um, yeah, you know, um, I... I, I, I'm, I'm not biased against any of the, the lunar phases, Chris, I will observe them all, <laughs> but, um, um, you know, I, I, what I like about the moon this time of the year is that it, it, it is up a little earlier. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that it just, it's darker earlier. And I find that observing the moon is just a little more accessible this time of the year as well. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you have to stay up late and, and uh, again, it's just part of the reason why I really enjoy fall observing is because so much more of the sky is accessible um, due to the darkness and just favorable lineup of uh, things in the sky. Nice. Yeah, it is. It is nice. And, uh, you know, things start start quieting down. I will miss the warmer evenings like uh, Saturday night. I, I guess it was like a day or just over a day before uh before it was in the last quarter. I think it's technically it's like last quarter this morning or something like that. But um, yeah, I was out observing and I was still just wearing a sweater and, you know, um, just a pair of regular jeans kind of thing. And, you know, it was just really, really nice um, to be out under, under a, a beautiful night sky and, uh, you know, watching the stars go by and watching, uh, you know, the odd meteor and looking at some galaxies and nebula and clusters and, and then Jupiter and Saturn through the telescope was, was a lot of fun. Um, and it's much more fun when it's, when it's not minus 20. So mm-hmm. there we go. What, what so are your, got, Oh, sorry, go, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to ask what, is, what are your new moon plans for September? Yeah, that's uh, that is a that is a good uh, a good question. So yeah, I'm, I've got a few a few projects uh, on the go. Uh, Going to take a look at uh, I think like moping out some galaxies. Do you ever do uh, do any constellation moping moping around the galaxy or the, the the constellations where you go and just sort of pick a constellation and try to see all the the deep sky objects, the star clusters, nebulas, galaxies, what have you in, in like a particular cluster or a particular uh, constellation. Yeah. There, there is a phase for, oh gee, two or three years where that's pretty much entirely how I observed. <laughs> and so much so that when we would go out observing, I wouldn't even really know which constellation I was interested in. It would just be kind of whatever caught my eye, open a star chart to that constellation and just start observing, see what I see, what all I can find. Yeah, I was I was thinking I took my star chart out to to my dark sky site and um, I, I should just do this. So one thing I did last uh, winter during a particularly bad cold spell is I marked out all I think it's like about 150 objects um, that I thought would be interesting to take a look at from um, I think it's a web celestial handbook. Um, anyway, and and so I, I I thought I would go and take a look at those over the next year and and see what's, what's what, how about you? What are, what are your plans for this, uh, this new moon period, this probably last warm new moon period of 2021? Yeah. So I want to keep going with my, um, uh, hidden treasures, uh, project mm-hmm. observing Omera's hidden treasures. I basically have the same telescope that he used to observe them. So I think that's kind of neat. And, uh, 
Um, I want, I just would like to compare, you know, what some, some of our really good dark skies are like, and maybe what some of our mediocre dark skies are like in, in relation to what he observed. And, you know, there's still one other, just real small variable, uh, the observer <laughs> and, you know, Omera, uh, will leave me in the dust. I'm sure he he's, uh, I think he has quite good vision and, uh, just is a, you know, a patient, uh, observer that is able to see a lot of detail, but, Regardless, I'd like to um, I'd like to observe those objects. Yeah, and if the weather, uh, you know, depending what the forecast looks like, I may head south to uh, our favorite location, to Grasslands National Park, East Block, yeah. and nice. maybe do a little observing there. Yeah, very cool. We've got a couple of comments you you may be able to try to see. So, eight P Tuttle. Um, uh, in the past, it has brightened rapidly. So as of mid-August, it was still hovering, uh, you know, in the 10th to 11th magnitude range. Um, but I see some recent observations have, uh, I think uh, the prediction actually is that it's around 9th magnitude now and should brighten to 8.5 magnitude, uh, maybe around the end of September or new moon period, um, end of September, beginning of October, um, but it's not well placed uh, this time, and and it and it kind of uh, you know probably won't be won't be as easily visible um, from the northern hemisphere. And then we have uh, C twenty twenty one, which is a long. So the first one is a short period comet. It's probably going to be pretty tough, but it's going to brighten up and might be uh, uh, good to see from the southern hemisphere. And then C twenty twenty one oh one is. Uh, is in the ninth to 10th magnitude, um, not observable right now, but it's going to come back, um, in December and, uh, who, who knows what it'll be once, once it comes back, uh, into the nighttime sky. And then we have four P Fay, which is uh, going to be around 10th magnitude and a bunch of other ones around 11th magnitude. So really would have to, uh, want to take, take a look at them. There's one that I'm kind of interested to see, interested to see how it evolves, which is a two, five, two P linear, um, because, uh, back in 2016, I don't know if you remember that one. Do you remember it? Does that sound familiar? 252P linear? No, that's not jumping out. Yeah. We, we looked at that. Um, it was fourth magnitude. It got what? pretty bright. Oh, gee. Um, how, do, how do I not remember that? <laughs> <laughs> and then it, and then it briefly brightened up here in August, I guess I missed this to 10th magnitude. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, it's hovering around like 12th or 13th magnitude, which is, which is kind of faint. Um, but uh, it stays, in, and this is in the southern hemisphere right now. So, uh, but in in the evening sky in October, um, it starts to enter into the northern hemisphere. Um, although it's going to be really low, it maybe it will brighten up again. I mean, uh, shoot, when we think about um, you know comet uh, Neowise last year, it was pretty low, but it was it was so bright. If this, this brightened to magnitude four, even if it was low, uh, you'd be able to. Uh, to see it. So yeah, there's, there's a few other comments, uh, that, that hopefully will, will brighten up, uh, in, in the coming months, but nothing, nothing of any note right now, unfortunately, uh, on the comet front. Uh, yeah. And I think that with the meteors, we just have some sort of sporadic, uh, meteor showers. I think there's the, uh, there's another Perseid type meteor shower, but it's just sort of one of these minor showers. Um, and then we have some, some toward fireballs and, uh, stuff like that in the in the early morning sky. I think towards towards the end of the month. Right on. Yeah. 
Well, Shane, uh, we've covered a lot of different material here tonight. Uh, do you have anything left to uh, to add to our 150th episode of Actual Astronomy? Uh, not really. I will just remind everybody, it's it's pretty customary for this episode when we do the uh, kind of the month of uh, things to observe. Um, you know, we reference some photos or some images uh, throughout this podcast. All of those images and everything that we talked about will be on our website, actualastronomy.com. So if anybody is interested in a reference of of this episode, uh, check it out there. There'll be a PDF that you can download and uh, no cost, no charge. In fact, I don't even think you need a membership to do that. Um, We don't have an ability to give membership. (laughs) No, no, but, but you can, you can sign up. It's through WordPress and you can sign up and I don't know, I think you follow our website or I don't know exactly the terminology, but if you do that, you will get notified. In fact, it might even just email a link to you uh, every oh. time we post something. So you can do that. And, and I, I know a few people have, I think we have 15 or 20 people that have done that. Um, that's so cool. that's, uh, that's another option for folks. Wow. That's, I, I didn't even know that was clearly we're not tracking people. <laughs> maybe maybe no you need that. to sign up, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I should, I should sign, sign up for it. Well, that's really great. Well, really it's thanks to you, Shane, for, uh, for setting all that up. You're the uh, master of the uh, web ceremony. So we appreciate that. <laughs> all right. My pleasure. Well, have a, thanks again. And thanks everybody for listening. Have a good night, Shane. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>